The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the podcast dedicated to Manchester United from The Athletic. We have got a full house on the show today. We've got Carl Anker, we've got Andy Mitten, and we've got Laurie Whitwell as well. We've only been away for two weeks, but can you believe it? So much has happened during that time. The new manager, Eric Ten Hag, has properly got to work. The old one, Ralph Rangnick, will not even be a consultant at Old Trafford now. He's won one of his first four matches as Austria manager. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? United share price has hit an all-time low, yet more coaches have departed, and we have a new deputy football director. Pogba, Cavani, Lingard, Matic, and Matter have left Old Trafford or announced they're leaving at least to varying degrees of regret no more one please no more I can't take another farewell video and of course United have been linked with a limitless amount of footballers signed on but De Jong is flattered Ericsson has an offer and Timber has been told to go elsewhere layoffers Louis but most importantly most importantly Lawrence James Whitwell has been married I knew that was coming <laughs> Congratulations. Cheers, pal. It was a wonderful afternoon in New York on a rooftop. Absolutely. I've seen some gorgeous pictures and that's just the green suit, isn't it? Fabulous. <laughs> I'm getting extra use out of it. We're having a party on Saturday, so uh, it's a double double day for it. Um, it. Yeah, wonderful. I've obviously sent you some pictures, haven't I, I think, guys. Uh, there was some high-quality cocktails going on, I must say. Oh, yeah. If you're ever in New York, in Lower East Side, Beauty in Essex is your place for cocktails, guys. Get down there. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> ever done anything exciting in New York, Carl? Uh, one or two times. Did a bit of pro wrestling training out there. A bit different. In another life, I used to be a wrestling journalist, and I, and I went out there for. Uh, oh, I thought you'd actually pro wrestle. Oh, like, a little bit. So you know, I, I have. I know I had to do a drop kick and whatnot. So I did a little bit while out there covering SummerSlam in 2016. Did you wear a leotard? And what was your <laughs> wrestling oh, name? Um, so I, I was an evil accountant character called Thaddeus. So I had a little like that suit and green visor, and I was the. Um, <laughs> I was like one of the heavies for one of my friends who, whose big character was he, he was essentially like an aristocrat. So I used to crunch his numbers and then I'd like take off the visor and go, what do you mean you didn't you didn't do in the offshore account? And then I'd <laughs> go up out and put a clobber in on you with an adding machine. Oh, that is brilliant. Wow, what a start <laughs> this has been back. Andy, follow those two tales. When Laurie mentioned the Lower East Side, it took me back to 10 years ago. We did a house swap for, for a month. And I just worked out the Lower East Side, um, I'd say a house, but the place we got was like a hotel room sized uh, house because New York housing is obviously very expensive. So we went in there, the door wasn't yet two, so she had a free flight. I used to run over Williamsburg Bridge every morning. New York's one of my favorite cities in the world. Uh, the pound then was about 160. It certainly isn't now, as I'm sure Laurie found out. Uh, it, the pound's just completely died against the dollar, or the dollar's got too strong. But yeah, New York, New York's a brilliant, a brilliant place, and I'm glad that all the wedding went well. Yeah, I think we all echo that. Congratulations from everyone, Laurie, who's listening to this. I'm sure you'll have lots of messages now as well. Right, we need to talk about football, I think. I'm loath to sort of do it, to be honest, and bring the tone down, because that has been a super start, back with a bang. It feels like longer than two weeks, though, doesn't it, Carl? I, I can't believe that it is only two weeks since we last spoke because so much has happened. But the one thing that's not happened is that Manchester United haven't yet signed 
anyone and the sort of mood across social media seems to be getting more and more desperate is that fair yeah i have a i have a little notification on my phone so anytime manchester united tweet it pops up and i have always have a look underneath as the replies and the replies overwhelmingly now from online manchester united fans seems to be sign some players sign some players anyone um it's an interesting one we've just seen the the fixture list as we're recording this and i'm looking at the games that have just been at beer, I'm going, yeah, United do need to sign quite a few players. Uh, so because of the way the World Cup is going to break up the league in two, United are going to play, I think it's five games in August, two games in September, I want to say six games in October, and then two games in November. Uh, and you add on Europa League games there. I mean, even It's a year to hit the ground running, isn't it? Pretty much. You've written about the chances of Manchester United signing Christian Eriksen and the expectation, Carl, of, of where he's going to play or where he would fit in because it seems like a little bit of a conundrum maybe to squeeze him in alongside the other attacking midfield players that Manchester United have got. Um, David Ornstein's written the piece on The Athletic about the offer to Christian Eriksen. Laurie, do you know how likely this is to happen? Yeah, I mean, David Ornstein's obviously got brilliant contacts and the idea that United have made an offer is, is perhaps not totally surprising. I think I think people were a little bit taken back, but it would it'd been something that had been kind of talked about. I mean, I got a question in my mailbag last week. So it's always brilliant when you do the mailbags with subscribers because you get ideas for things and you realise what they're thinking about. And so I really appreciate everyone's feedback on that. I think it was like 200 comments in the first sort of day, which is crazy really. It just sort of shows the appetite out there for kind of information or just to discuss in Manchester United. Christian Eriksen was brought up then and I sort of thought, looked at it and thought, well, he's 30. He's obviously had a good end of the season at Brentford. He's shown that he's, he can still play the game at the top level after you know his um, his issues at the Euros. And so for a free transfer, I mean, they, they looked at him before when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was manager in 2019, but in the end, they didn't want to pay the money that Spurs, I think, wanted for him with a year left on his contract. Or, or you know, they kind of had other ideas, I suppose, as to how to progress the team or, or not, <laughs> perhaps. If he's one of, you know, a few, you know, if he's one of four or five players, which I know this is probably very much in the you know fantasy land, I suppose, in that regard. But then I think he's a good player to bring on. But if he's the only one or one of two, you know, two or three, he kind of a little bit underwhelming because he should. He's not the guy to build your team around, but he's certainly a high quality technical player that knows how to to, to create and, and score at the top level. Um, that it could add certainly to the squad, but he, he can't be the only one. No, that is true, Andy. You've written this week about Manchester United looking into the possibility of signing a Barcelona midfielder. The stories about Cesc Fabregas a few years ago, but of course there's one <laughs> now, which everyone seems to want to know what's happening, how close it is. Uh, he said he's flattered now, publicly, by Manchester United's interest. Is Frankie de Jong going to be one of those names that we go on about all summer and it doesn't happen, or can you see this actually being pulled off by United? Right, it could go on all summer. Um, I wrote about the Cesc piece and... I remember being all over that in the summer of 13 and being fortunate to be getting very good information from both sides. And as a journalist, if you, it's very rare that you're in that situation. But when I revisited doing that piece and spoke to people who were party to exactly what was going on, I was still picking up little details. Um, David Moyes calling Sesk from service station on the M5 and, and Sesk assuring him that he would join Manchester United if he wasn't selected for the first game of the season. Uh, he was selected. He 
provided two assists in a 7-0 win and suddenly Man United were scratching around. So there are some similarities with um, Frenkie de Jong. The way I see it is that, yes, Manchester United are interested. Yes, there's been contact. Yes, there's been an offer. Barcelona have not accepted that. It's really complicated from Barcelona's side because of the very strict financial fair play rules in Spain. Um, he's on a huge contract. Barcelona do need money. He's a good player. Spoke to a lot of people this week in football about him, about exactly what he does. The feedback I'm getting was, I really would love to see this player sign for United. Barcelona have not used him well. And under Ten Hag, who did use him well, he could be an, an, an amazing player for Manchester United. And the people I'm speaking to are, are professional football coaches. They know what they're on about. They watch Barcelona every week. And they're breaking down the type of um, football that he plays, what he does well, why it's not quite worked out for him, how he receives the ball on the half turn. The sort of stuff that scouts look at as well. I remember Manchester United overlooking Fernando Torres because they were uncomfortable with the way he received the ball with his back to goal. It's tiny details like that and it's so subjective. I wouldn't be surprised if the Frankie thing ran and ran and ran. That frustrates fans massively. I totally get that. I think he's perfectly happy living in, in Catalonia. He was coming to Catalonia on holiday. As a, as a child, he loved Barcelona when he says he's at the biggest club in the world. A, I think he thinks he's being genuine. B, I disagree with him because Manchester United are bigger. <laughs> C, Barcelona are more attractive to footballers than Manchester United. They just are. And even though Barcelona have slumped, but he's, he's played in it in at an un, unstable, instable club. And you could say Manchester United has been the same, so it would just be exactly the same for him. It boil it will boil down to one thing, and that is money and valuation, partly because of the huge fee that Barcelona paid for him. People think that, say United pay 60, 70, 80 million, that he can just put that money in the bank and go out and buy one of their six targets, because they've got six targets, and they also want to move six players on as well. Uh, they can't. And it's a problem because of the fee that they paid for him. They can only pay a percentage of any profit on the player. And also, the market and some of the fees that have gone in in the market, like M Madrid, what they paid last week for the young Monaco uh, midfielder, that's, that's a problem as well. So I think that Barca would sell him, would like to sell him. But what is Barca? Cesc Fabregas, Barca wanted to sell him. Well, the president did, the directors did, the manager didn't, the player didn't want to go. But players, if they're told, uh, you're not wanted here, we're happy to let you go, we're happy to listen to offers. Players say, all right, I get what you're saying, and they listen to offers. I'd like to see him come. I don't think there's a deal close at the moment. I think it's going to run and run and add to the frustration that fans have got. Could I ask a question, Andy? I just wondered, do you think that's right then for Man United to be sort of looking at Barcelona's situation and saying they're in financial disarray, they need to sell, the pressure is going to intensify when we get to the end of the financial year for Barcelona in, on July the 1st. You know, is that a smart thing to try and extract you know, a lower fee or should they just think, actually, we need to back a manager here who's new into the job Okay, it might cost a little bit more, but we get the player in early. Everyone understands there where he's going to be. The manager knows who he's got. You know, pre-season's coming up. You know, I mean, I know he has his own opinions, Frankie De Jong, on where he wants to play. But it does feel like you know he's he's open to it at least. So, 
I, that's that's the balance, I suppose. That I'm, I can understand why United want to negotiate down, but at the same time, there is a cost to that frustration among fans, frustration amongst the coaching staff, and, and Eric Ten Hag himself and the player. Where do you what do you think? If you bow to that frustration, you end up signing Donny Van Der Beek. Look at the timing of that. That was all about bowing to frustration. I've said that right from the start with him, and I'd love him to come good. By the way. Was that signing really well thought out? I'm not convinced that it was. There's a few things here. Frenkie de Jong is one of the very few Barcelona players who they can get top money for. They have too many midfielders. Gavi, 17, is like a Tevez-type character. Fantastic footballer, 17 years old. Pedri, probably even better footballer. Busquets, everybody thinks that Frenkie is in competition with Busquets. They're totally different players. Busquets doesn't move. Frankie runs around everywhere. Frankie has to be controlled. Frankie's a box-to-box midfielder, loves to dribble with, with the ball. Busquets is still delivering for Barcelona. So Barca can... To, to, when they're selling the idea to the fans, it's more easy to sell the idea of Frankie de Jong going with a few size than it is to any of the names that, that I have mentioned. And... They had a fire sale last year, so they need the money. Both clubs are operating under a cloud post-COVID, so the financials are definitely a factor. Although you can raise your eyebrows to see what Madrid pay aid for the player from from Monaco. Should United break the bank, give him what they want, the type of things that fans say? Should they have done that with Jadon Sancho when 110 million was being talked about? I think United did it in the right way. I'm just really circumspect, Laurie, because... I've seen us go for players where everyone's celebrating and going, this is brilliant, brilliant. And the players have completely flopped. And I don't think that Frankie would flop. But United have got to find another way of winning. And I'm frustrated when I see Liverpool signing strikers and Manchester City signing strikers. But I can see different sides to, to the argument here. United are not in the Champions League. There's a budget there. United have got to... That would be boosted by the, the, the sale of other players. In hindsight, United should have sold Dean Henderson 18 months ago, but didn't. DNN pay 80 million euros for Frankie de Jong and blow your entire budget on one player. That's not my decision. So I can see there'll be some to in and fro in. Barcelona are not in the position they were when they had Cesc Fabregas financially. Barcelona's ideal situation is that more people come in for Frankie de Jong. I'm not aware of anyone at the moment. Barcelona would probably like people to think that more people are coming in for Frankie de Jong. Again, I'm not aware of anyone else at the moment. Fascinating, isn't it? What what a tangled web it is once again. But I think that that notion that United have to do things differently this time and try and change the way that they're doing transfers is definitely coming through now, isn't it? And obviously lots have changed behind the scenes. Lots of different people are involved now than than were before. So it'll be interesting to see what impact that has. But the blank check era, hopefully, sounds like it's it, it's gone in a sense, Andy. Is that fair? Yeah, but am I frustrated when I see Erland Haaland going to Manchester City for what seems to be a really small amount? Yeah. United are not getting the look in the transfer market, but... Is that not the reality of where United are, unfortunately, at this moment, compared to teams who are consistently at the top of the Premier League in the Champions League last stages? Look at the agents doing it. There's very few agents who are gatekeepers to the top talent. And if you're advising your player, go to Liverpool or Manchester United, looking at it from a rational perspective. Liverpool have got a better team at the moment. Mm. They... 
didn't win the quadruple. I don't think we've commented on that. But Manchester United has been, become a basket case. It's not as attractive as it was. It just isn't. We'd love to think otherwise, but it just isn't. So a lot of players still would like to go to United, still would like to go to England. The money in the Premier League is off the scale. There are, there are clubs who are paying huge amounts. Manchester United can still compete at the top, top level, but I spoke to an agent a few weeks ago, and I wrote this in, in the United We Stand, and he was interested in putting a player into Manchester United, and he talked to a rival club, and, well, what about you know doing something with this player and some of the people at Manchester United? And, and the, the rival club said, we're not interested in any of the Manchester United players. Really stung that. I can understand that that would sting. And Carl, it's going to be a challenge again for United, isn't it, to to sell players this summer? I mean, obviously, we listed at the top some of the names who are leaving, but they've not been sold. No, no. Uh, and, and the recent report that Dean Henderson might be going to Nottingham Forest as a loan deal initially, which speaks to how difficult and how, uh, how difficult Manchester United have found player trading. If you look at player sales in recent history. I think Daniel James is the fourth largest profit United have ever made on a player sale before, which feels preposterous. Uh, it was one of the very few times they've made a profit in the last decade as well. To, to speak to Andy's comment to, to the agent, if you look at that Manchester United squad, they've just come off the worst their worst season in Premier League history. They Nearly everyone there is either on prohibitively high wages so someone like Anthony Martial who might be a halfway decent player if you're a team in the Europa Conference League or trying to get into the Europa League but is on something well above £200,000 a week so you can't do a deal for that for Martial he's he's not good enough he's too expensive for the level that he should be playing at essentially um, so how you move those players on without initially giving them that sort of six month loan is incredibly tricky. I, th I think we all, when Martial went on loan to Seville, it was very much, oh, either Martial, hopefully Martial kicks on, comes good, and he either gets sold to Seville or someone else, or he comes back and he's in good form. And then we got the the unfortunate option C, where he didn't kick on at all. Seville go, this was a waste of time, and we're right back to where we were, essentially, partway through early in 2020, where you're going, this player is prohibitively expensive, and we're not quite sure what to do with him. But the one thing about this deal, Laurie, with Martial is that at least we've found out that United aren't necessarily missing out on anything with him. That It's not like he's gone there and been brilliant and you've been like, oh, so it was United who were the issue. Well, that has been a fear as well for United in the past, you know, this, this idea that oh, we can't really let him go just in case uh, he goes and tears it. I think Jesse Lingard had that as, as an issue around some of his moves, you know, where where they, you know didn't happen or whatever. But I mean, that that is on United. You know, they have to be more assertive, more proactive, more decisive when it comes to realizing that players aren't good enough for them, or that you know that quickly. You know, you look at the way that Liverpool sell players, Chelsea sell players. They top up the transfer budget by you know fifty, sixty million. You know, each year maybe where you know with, play, with players that don't even really play that much. I mean, look at look at the players that Man City sold last summer. Ferran Torres. I mean, that was I think it was in January, wasn't it? But you know, a load of money that comes into the club that they can then reinvest in. You know, maybe Calvin Phillips. <laughs> the way that United need to be is just so much more on the ball and, and kind of confident of their own, you know, uh, decisions. I suppose. I, I kind of feel like that, that's perhaps still 
an uncertain aspect because you've got Anthony Marshall coming back and Henrik Ten Hag will have a look at him and you know maybe we'll see and then it'll probably get to the last week of the window and then it'll probably be you know a last minute loan if Eric Ten Hag doesn't want him well listen maybe Eric Ten Hag can see something in him because he's done it at Ajax hasn't he with players that haven't performed or, or felt like they've been over the hill I suppose um, and he's managed to get something else extra out of them so there's still that mystical idea that Anthony Marshall might be able to reproduce that match away at Man City that me and Andy always bang on about when he was when he was absolutely brilliant, you know, and and get back to it. Um, but you know, I don't know. The the evidence is 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 for the against at the moment. Je m'appelle Paul Pogba. Je joue à Manchester United dans l'un des meilleurs clubs de la planète. The world's most expensive footballer. Pogba. It's Pogba. Pogba. He's a showman. Yeah. Je suis né prêt. Être prêt à tomber, à me relever, à me battre et à gagner. Andy Paul Pogba has gone. Um, again, he's not been sold. He's one of the players who are out of contract and has left. And he's now released uh, an interestingly timed Pogumentary, I think that's how you pronounce it, on Amazon Prime. Carl? It's the Pogmentary. Oh. I'm really annoyed because it should be the Pogumentary. It's one of the many, many things about this documentary that gets my goat. There's a little moment in there where he describes a contract offer from Manchester United uh, and describes the, the, the offer as being nothing. Um, well, not, not, I shouldn't say he. Where people around him say he was offered nothing by Manchester United. Where I think Andy and, and Laurie, you've reported the, the fee. The, con- the proposed contract was... Quite large. I think it was decent. Yeah, I, it, not not nothing. Yeah, wouldn't, not nothing. Wouldn't, it wouldn't no. have made him the highest paid player at Manchester United, <laughs> but it was a, a substantial amount of money per week. We did a piece at the end when I was over in New York. Actually, oh, got published. You know, the, the, the announcement that he was leaving was was happening. Oh, okay. I think on my second. It was. I think it was on the Tuesday. To be fair, so I had just I, we'd come in and it was Memorial Day, so we'd gone to a rooftop pool party, obviously, as you do uh, on the Monday, uh, and so there was a bit of a sore head on the Tuesday, sure. and then this. I think it was Tuesday, that the, the day's blue and so on, that Pogba was, was leaving. So I had this sort of piece lined up. And, and, it, and within that, we talk about the fact that he was annoyed. And it, this surprised me because I, you know, at the time, you've got Mina Rola saying it's over for him at Manchester United. Um, you've got him sort of talking about new you know, possibilities, you know, even as long as 2019, I think it was. Um, but there was a period where he, he felt really good at United under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He sort of seemed to have, have got into his groove and they just triggered his extension, whereas he was sort of texting Ole Gunnar Solskjaer saying, can I get you know, a new contract? Which is kind of a, an interesting angle, I suppose, uh, you know, to the to the story. But if, if they then talk about it in this documentary, I'm really fascinated. I've not seen it, so I'm really interested to see what the kind of, you know, from the horse's mouth is. Yeah, Oli Kay's written up the best bits on The Athletic, Laurie, so go and have a read of that. It's out worldwide on Friday, I should say, on Amazon Prime. Uh, are we bothered, though, Carl? I, I, my one sort of prevailing thought about all of this is whatever. I think that's the most sensible thing to do. Uh, so he, he still hasn't confirmed his future club. There is the idea that the the final episodes may, may give a clearer hint. Is that what Griezmann did? Yes, very much. So Griezmann did it, right, which was okay. inspired by LeBron James doing it in basketball several years ago. Um, Griezmann's a massive NBA fan. so and, and Pogba is a massive NBA fan as well. We've seen him train with the Miami Heat and be on hold over Lukaku. So yeah, I haven't seen the final episode. I wouldn't be shocked if the final episode had some sort of moment where he mentioned his future club because Pogba is 
there's a really nice line in a well, a very rare interview with Paul Pogba in, in English media where it describes how Pogba is, uh, because he necessarily grew up from not the greatest circumstances. He very much covers himself in a form of very sophisticated self-branding as a sort of I matter, which I've always thought was very important. He's really proud and quite stubborn. And if he feels like he's been affronted, he will remember that. And when he gets like his win later on, he will come up to you and go, remember when you said that bad thing about me? So if you remember the World Cup celebrate, the World Cup celebrations where you sort of doing that gesture with his mouth and pushing down saying, don't believe the haters and all that stuff, which look, it's fine. He's not a Manchester United player now. He, he's going to go play for somewhere on the continent. And I don't really see him winning a Champions League. He's a, he's a brilliant player, but I think he's had a number of injuries at Manchester United that have taken away a lot of his explosive burst, the, particularly that ankle injury in 1920. He came back just different player uh this is is this me just i'm basically doing i don't fancy you no more i'm, I'm just <laughs> that's what basically what i'm doing in this in this entire yeah. argument i think it's, it's wise for everyone at manchester united to just stop thinking about football football and and to to move on with another fantastic skilled midfielder who can play deep but probably wants to play box to box that might arrive in august andy your face throughout this has been fascinating on my uh, on my computer screen <laughs> i was really excited when paul pogba signed for manchester united uh, it was a, a a huge obviously transfer fee but massively underwhelming big disappointment and 95 percent of manchester united fans polled wanted to see him go and he's gone and don't think there'll be any petitions to build a statue of paul pogba outside old trafford anytime soon it's a shame it came to it, but it did come to it, and there were fleeting moments of brilliance, but um, good it didn't work out. Um, wish him all, all the best, and part of me still feels he, he he could show how good he could be. Part of me feels that like his limitations um, might be exposed somewhere else. And, and at Juventus, um, before he came to United, I know he frustrated the Juventus players around him, but they cut him a lot of slack because he did have that brilliance, the, 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 the burst which Carl talked about. Um, we just saw less and less of that at Old Trafford. He had them brilliant quick feet where he could get the ball in positions and manipulate the ball, and we just didn't see enough of it. And it, the relationship just became broken. Almost no connection with the fans. Mitigating circumstances on both sides. I think Manchester United can learn from the way that they handle Paul Pogba with the media. I know loads of people who know him speak really well of him. And as a journalist, you're building up this picture all the time. It's not a black and white issue. It's not like he is bad, he is good. But the bottom line is Paul Pogba at Manchester United was not how anybody hoped it would be. Just echo what Andy's saying there, really. Yeah, complex character, definitely uh, reasons on both sides for why it hasn't been fulfilled to the extent that we hoped it would be, you know, 89 million world record fee when he arrived. But there wasn't really a plan, I don't think, for, for actually how to use him. Now, OK, you might also say, using a lot of different positions, you know, he's, he's had the opportunity to shine in different systems, in different ways. But I suppose it wasn't really ever, this is a guy that's going to go in this position and, you know, we're going to build the team around him. It kind of felt a little bit like he's available 
we need to make a big sign in. It's perfect for us in, in, in these kind of different ways, commercial as well as, you know, but then at the same time, he, you know, he has to look at himself in terms of why it hasn't worked out because there was, you know, that moment in 2019, 20, when it took a long time for him to come back from an ankle injury. He's had, he's had different injuries. Um, but also, I do, I do think this season, he has actually been um, a, a kind of, not a firefighter as such, but he has had an important role just to try and, you know, keep the dressing room together a little bit. I think he's the one player that's really got Cristiano Ronaldo's respect. Um, so, you know, he's, there's a couple of points that I make in that piece about him, you know, kind of just uh, lobbying him or, or advocating perhaps a softer approach from Ronaldo in terms of his feedback to certain players, um, a bit of encouragement for Harry Maguire, things like that. So he's a likeable guy, you know, everyone that actually knows him on a just a, a kind of a non-work basis, I suppose, you know, is speaks highly of him. You know, the, the guys in the media team say that there's been times when they've been struggling for an interview and he's put his hand up and said no problem I'll do it and it's a, it's you know no chore to him it's kind of relaxed and, and happy personality so there is that it's, Andy said it, it's a you know these these things are, are, they're never you know straightforward there's there's different reasons for why it hasn't worked out but you know I guess wish him the best wherever he goes next you know as, as we say we think it might be back to uh, a team that he's been at before um, but yeah I think Carl's right draw a line under it and let's move on we need to just mention the fixtures Carl alluded to them right at the top obviously they dropped uh, about half an hour or so ago um, as we're recording this podcast so United begin the season at home to Brighton uh, on a Sunday at two o'clock uh, for those excited fans about three o'clock Saturdays you'll be disappointed uh, Brentford is the first away match uh, and then it's Manchester United against Liverpool in the third game what a start that's going to be to the season to get ready for um, October looks very tough like Carl said uh, it kicks it off with the first Manchester derby um, and we can exclusively reveal that United will play all other 19 Premier League teams home and away between August and May, um, with a massive gap as well. That looks really weird looking at the fixture list. Um, that there's a huge gap between, let's just take a look at it, between the 12th of November and Boxing Day. Um, it's going to be a season like no other in that sense. But like Carl said at the top, Laurie, it just gives you the sense that they really need to hit the ground running. That that Liverpool fixture third up is going to focus a few minds, I'm sure. And the challenge that Eric Ten Hag's got to try and get the best out of some of the players, rejuvenate some of the footballers at Manchester United. Gareth Southgate's comments, for instance, Carl, about Marcus Rashford and, and Jadon Sancho and the challenge that they've got to get back into the England team. Well, they're just two of the names that, that Ten Hag needs to needs to get the best out of at club level before they can even think about international football. Oh, absolutely. I found Southgate's comments really interesting as they were quite similar to comments Ralph Rennick gave towards the end of last season. So Southgate... He also came before um, the worst defeat for England in nearly 100 years, so I wonder if that changed his mind. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, Marcus Rashford has a pretty good record in England games against Hungary, so... And they didn't look like they needed someone with a bit of dribbling ability who can do much stuff other than the transition. So that's my small lobby. One thing I will say was Southgate made a comment as to how certain players need a number of games to get into a playing rhythm, which was quite similar to a comment Ralph Rannick gave towards the end of the season where he said, and forgive me because I'm paraphrasing here, he said words essentially to he doesn't necessarily have enough time to accommodate players that need two or three games to show them to show him what they can do 
which I thought was a really, really interesting explanation at the time. I went, oh, who, who, who are you describing here? And to see Southgate make a essential reveal, as they say, you know, Sancho plus Rashford need three or four games to hit top pace, which is quite difficult, I found fascinating. Um, Ten Hag will not have the time to get three or four games to get these players going, right? In the first 13 games Manchester United play, they play all the top six, plus Leicester City and Everton. It, there is, you can take no passengers here. Um, you also add into the fact the players that Manchester United have lost on free contracts and the fact that, well, essentially there's going to be Europa League group games in here. This might be a League Cup game in there. United are in this very difficult position where if you look at that United squad as as we have it right now, you can probably look at that squad and say, right, Cristiano Ronaldo probably won't play a Europa League game away from home. It's probably best to keep him at home. Rafael Varane, probably best to not risk him considering his injury stuff. Probably best to keep him at home during Europa League away games. So then you go, do you start giving Eric Bailly major minutes? Do you start looking at Axel Twenzebi again? Do you start looking at Hannibal Medjury again. So it's not just this transfer window I think about as well. It's also the, um, I mean, the January transfer window. So, you know, everyone comes back on Boxing Day and then five, what, five, six days later, you've got a January transfer window. And you go, right, who's who's good? Who had a good World Cup? Should we buy someone who had a good World Cup as well? So, I don't know. The, the England contingent at Manchester United is a, is a very interesting case. In terms of getting bet these players finding form again, that, that doesn't just matter to England, does it? It also matters to United. I suppose the question is, like, which of these players do you see being rejuvenated, potentially? Yeah, but I, I don't... I mean, I looked at that Hungary game. You know, it was... Did, did anyone care? Like, it was... <laughs> the, the, you know, they... It was the end of a season. Everyone's knackered. You know they're getting okay. It beat four 0 It's a bit embarrassing. But you know you got Harry Maguire coming onto the pitch, getting booed by the England fans. You know it just seemed weird. Like I said, I don't really attach any particular value to, you know, talk about this international break. I mean, I, I forgot it was going on. <laughs> after I know I was away, but four games. Yeah. Like when did it end? <laughs> you know, what can the season end, please? Phil Foden again. Not our concern, but Phil Foden played about ten minutes of those four matches, and he was injured for most of it. His season's been extended by a month for ten for, minutes for at what? the end of yeah. like a, a hammering. Weird. Uh, the the point I, t- I do take the point in that you know it's it's white it's weird that United don't have more players in the England squad. You know you know that is a, a staple really of, of a good team. They should be having players in your domestic um, you know country's team. Um, but at the same time, I do, I do feel like, you know, with Southgate and, and Rashford and Sancho, it does feel like it's a situation there where he, he just, maybe he's just not having them. Like he doesn't quite like how they play or, or, their, or whatever it is about it. So I don't really mind that as long as they have that and ha- use that as fire to, to burn at Manchester United. And, and you know, we, we've seen, you know, Marcus Rashford working away um, in the gym whilst he's, uh, you know, sort of abroad. Um, you, you kind of hope that they come back with that renewed energy to go, we are elite players. We had, you know, difficult seasons for different reasons last last year, but we, we can show what we're made of. Um, you know, you hope that Ten Hag, they've got pre-season coming up very soon and then they've got uh, tour matches, you know, 8th of July. Um, but yeah, as you say, you've got Liverpool, third game of the season, and as Andy's mentioned, you know, they've obviously signed the striker that Manchester United did have a look at. You know, so it'd be interesting to see what Ten Hag says publicly if at that point in the season he hasn't actually got the players that he'd quite like. Tell you what, Andy, Laurie, let's say Sancho and Rashford don't make the next England training camp. I think that's in, I want to say it's in November. 
Um, would you prefer that so they can stay fresh for the rest of the Premier League season? Yeah, probably. I agree with this. Uh, the old flag, Manchester United, better than England. Like Laurie, I didn't care about the Nations games. I just didn't care. And and partly that's because I spend the whole football season working hard, travelling a lot, and you you need your brain to switch off. It's not going to get irate about Hungary against England. I don't think you can put a really strong case for the inclusion of the Manchester United players who weren't included. Mm-hmm. United have lost the last six away matches. It was a terrible season. If you're the manager of a national team, you pick players A who are playing, B who are playing well. And it boils back to Manchester United being in a really bad position. You're as good as your last game. Well, Manchester United have lost the last six away games. So we look forward. We look to the fixture list. Comforted to see that Southampton away is in August for the 52nd consecutive year. (laughs) I swear someone at the... (laughs) There's got to be a Southampton fan there who combines that fixture with his holidays. <laughs> There's got to be a reason for it. It's on the same day every single year. Three three seasons in a yeah. row. At least. Right? Yeah. 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 It will be three seasons in a row. So so last Blimey. last season Southampton was in August. Season before that, Dan James and one one draw. So yeah, last two one one draws. Um, yeah, and he's bang on. <laughs> I look at the others and I go Liverpool, gulp, really. I just think Manchester United fan in me, let's get at them, let's get revenge. Realist in me, gulp. Brentford, okay. <laughs> One of the few teams where United got six points against last last um, last season. I know that when David Moyes came in, he felt that the first month there was um, the, the Premier League had conspired against Manchester United with really difficult fixtures. And they were really difficult fixtures. I think if you look at Brighton, Brentford, Liverpool, Southampton, Leicester in August, yeah, loads of matches, far more than normal. Manchester United have got to be making an impact there. Liverpool is going to be very difficult, but if you're a Manchester United player going to Leicester or playing Brighton, if you're not thinking, both of these teams put four past us last year, we need to get revenge for this. Then there's something wrong with you. Do you know, I was on holiday in Cornwall a couple of weeks ago and uh, this I was got chatting to this guy and as you do, you revert to football chat eventually, don't you? We'd finished talking about our children. And he, I, he said, dude, you follow? I said, Manchester United. And he said, um, I said to him, who, who do you support? He said, well, um, I'll give you a clue. So my team uh, not four past you last season. And it literally oh. took me about 10 minutes. <laughs> oh, God. And it was Brighton. Oh. I didn't even Brian. get it. I didn't even get it. I'd totally forgotten that you know, conceded four against Brighton. I was like, my wife was sort of like shaking her head at me as if to say, I thought you knew about football. And it's like, it was a really difficult question. That was a really... <laughs> That's a multiple choice question. I'm on holiday. I've had three Doom bars. What do you expect me to be like? Really sharp? I don't know. Doom bars in this weather? Fair oh, enough. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, it went in Rome. Yeah. Well, we're actually at Padstow and looking across to Rock, where the original Sharps Brewery was, where Doom Bar probably used to be made. It probably isn't now. But yeah, went in Rome a pint of Doom Bar. For absolutely. the listeners that are not aware, Doom Bar is a real ale. Uh, no carbonation goes down quite smooth. Yeah, so, it's an old-fashioned bitter, really, isn't it? To be honest, yeah, it's sort go. of 
is a nod to my olden roots. Well, we're back, aren't we? We're certainly back. The drinks chat's back. The Manchester United chat's back. And the podcast will be back throughout the summer now as well, every week. Uh, We'll keep you posted on the exact schedule, of course, but we'll be back certainly next week with another podcast. Hopefully, we've got some more interesting Manchester United tales to talk about. Maybe even a player or two could be signed this time next week. Could be signed this time? I don't know. Even I'm sounding unconvincing. But for the minute, Carl, Andrew, Laurie... It always makes me laugh that his name's Andrew Mitten on the thing. I don't know. Anyway, I'm waffling. Carl, Andy, Laurie, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, you guys, for listening at home as well. And we'll be back next week. Take care. Bye-bye. The Athletic.